Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at coccchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. We're going to turn a corner today, and we're kind of like a racehorse that's rounding the, the, the last turn and coming down the stretch for Easter. So <clears throat> that's where our attention lies this morning. I have three sermons that we're going to do leading up to Easter. Uh, this series is called Take a Knee. Take a Knee. Today we're talking about taking a step. And I want to talk to you a little bit about hope today. Hope and wilderness. When you see the cross, I hope when you see the cross, what you see is hope. Because the desert is a, it's a barren place. The, the desert of your heart, the desert of your life sometimes, of your soul sometimes, um, that, that desert place makes us hope. If you were lost in a desert, it would make you hope for some things. You would hope for a rescue. You would hope for companionship. You would hope for food. There is more than, than one kind of wilderness. You know, we talk about uh, being lost in a wilderness. I w- went to school in, at Johnson Bible College down in the Tennessee foothills of the Smoky Mountains, and uh, it was not uncommon to hear that somebody had hiked into the mountains and had gotten lost in all of the forest, and they would have to send people in to find them, and that was a pretty common occurrence. But there's more than one kind of wilderness. There's a, there's a wilderness around you, but there can also be a wilderness within you. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And, and uh, one of our, our wealthiest, wisest kings wrote some things, had these words to say. And we're going to put these on the wall for you. You don't really need to look these up. This, this is a bunch of verses from Ecclesiastes. But I just want you to hear how Solomon talked about the wilderness. This is Ecclesiastes. I'm going to start in chapter 1, and we'll, we're going to skip around a little bit. Meaningless, meaningless says the teacher utterly meaningless everything is meaningless what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever i denied myself nothing my eyes desired i refused my heart no pleasure my heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all my labor yet when i surveyed all that my hands had done and what i had toiled to achieve Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Whoever loves money never has enough money, money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. In other words, you still want more. Reminds me of a little boy that I heard about who wanted more. He wanted $100, to be exact. He prayed for two weeks that he would have $100. And he expectantly waited for his $100, and it never came, so he decided to get proactive in this whole deal. And he wrote a letter to God and asked God for $100. He addressed the envelope to God USA. The postmaster in his town thought that was amusing, and he thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to forward that letter on to the White House, which is exactly what he did. Sent the letter to the White House. The President of the United States gets the letter. He reads the letter. He's quite amused by what he reads, and he, he tells the, his secretary, hey, put $10 in that and send it back to the little boy. So that's exactly what happens. The little boy goes to his mailbox. He gets his letter uh, back from God USA. And he finds the $10 inside, and he sat down at that point and wrote a letter to thank God. And this is what he said. Dear God, I got my envelope 
thank you for the $10. But I noticed that the envelope went through Washington, D.C., and as is usual with those crooks, they deducted 90 bucks. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 5. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. Generations come and generations go. In other words, the pursuit of more will result in meaninglessness. You and I wrestle with it. It's around us. It's in us. We have this, this desert that we find from time to time, this wilderness of our heart and of our soul and of, of our surroundings where we pursue and we chase after and we think so many things are so important only to get to them and realize they don't fulfill like we thought they were going to and we find the desert all over again. Life changes. This is the, really the, the hinge statement the tipping point this morning this is the thing we're taking away life changes when you take a step life changes when you take a step to put it another way when i was a youth pastor i used to say this to the kids all the time i would start it they would finish it they would roll their eyes like oh here he goes again but they they knew it and that's all i wanted i wanted to bore them to death with it because i knew once i had them bored with it they knew it and i would start life is a series of choices every choice has a consequence Life changes when you take a step. Israel took a step away from God. And life changes when you take a step away from God. It changes when you take a step away from a friend or a spouse or a job or a career. It changes when you take a step away from Jesus. It, takes, it changes when you take a step away from the church, from study, from fellowship, Whenever you have taken a step away and you have left things behind you, you have defined your life in some way. If you would think through your life and you would realize that every step you have taken has defined you in one way or another. Think about the steps of your life that you have taken and they have defined you. It's also true for the times you've taken a step up when you have decided to step up to marriage. Your life changed in a major way. When you decided to step up to a career, when you decided to step up to being a parent, man, does life change when you step up to be a parent. With every step you take, it defines you, and Israel took a step away. And in the course of history around 700 B.C., in the wilderness of Israel, God spoke to a man named Isaiah. The Spirit of God spoke to Isaiah, and he began to produce Scrolls He wrote out on these scrolls. The scrolls from the Spirit of God defined the one. It talked about the one who would come to rescue Israel from the wilderness. Not only the wilderness around them as they were in decline, but the wilderness within them. I don't know how many of you have seen The Matrix, but <clears throat> the Matrix movie talks about this guy named Morpheus who keeps talking about the one who will come. His name is Neo, and um, if you've never watched The Matrix, it's, it's worth watching one time. I, I mean, it, you probably have to watch it three times or more to make sense of the whole thing, but there are quite a few Christ parallels in that movie. 
And, and one of the parallels is, you know, we think we're living in a paradise, but it's really a wilderness. And in the movie, if you take a certain kind of pill, the whole thing kind of opens up for you, and you can see the barrenness of the world you live in. You can see that a lot of it's, it's, it's illusionary, and it's, it, we're fooled in some ways. Then we read in Isaiah chapter 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, talking about the one that would come. There are three persons described here. There's the spirit the Holy Spirit of the living God, the sovereign Lord, that's God. Sovereign literally means mighty or, or in control. And then me, who is me? Who is that? That's the one to come. That's Jesus. God says through Isaiah, someday there will be a me. Someday the one is going to show up into your wilderness and is going to address the problems that you have both outside and within. The one will be our hope. The one will be the one who comes in the midst of our wilderness, and he will rescue us, like I said, not only from the wilderness around us, but from the wilderness within us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That is to bring good news to the poor, uh, not just financially, but that's to bring good news to the poor who are relationally poor, internally poor ultimately spiritually poor and this is what he's been sent to do the spirit of the lord of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor in other words the one is going to come just as it's been foretold that he would come he will free us from bondage free us from our spiritual blindness and free us for god's favor and blessing one of the things that happens when you have kids is you'll be doing something and you will hear <coughs> a noise excuse me you'll hear a noise you know it's not a good noise and you usually wait you'll freeze for a minute you know what I'm talking about when you kind of look off in the distance and you wait to hear the crying because you know there's certain sounds that you can kind of identify glass breaking is one I'll save that story for later has a story to tell you i'll save it for later bicycles falling over or wrecking is another one you know there's a certain door slamming can be one when you hear a thud against the wall and you know that your little toddler just <laughs> crashed up against the wall and you wait then you stop don't you and you kind of wait for the eh, you know oh he's hurt if it's bad enough what do you do if it's bad enough, you don't stop and wait. Sometimes you can just tell. Rust Half sings a song, and he said, a father just knows. And you could easily insert mother. In fact, you could probably insert mother before you could insert father. Moms definitely know when something's not right. And they hear a sound, and they're probably in motion before the sound stops because they know what they're going to find at the end of the trail that they're going to run is not going to be good. And they might even call out, I'm coming, honey, I'm coming, Mommy's coming, she's going to be right there. That's kind of what God was doing in 700 B.C. when he spoke through Isaiah. The one who is to come. I'm coming, I'm going to rescue you. I know you're in despair, I know you've got problems, I know you just had a boo-boo, only it's a lot worse than a boo-boo. And I'm on the way. Several made it their life's purpose to re-record these words, to write them over and over. Uh, 
There's a group of people that lived in community in an area called Qumran. <clears throat> they were known as the Essenes. I am fascinated by the Essene people. Now, they, they, there is some debate. I remember in Bible college, we talked some about whether or not the Essene community was a, was a, um, a heretical community. And I don't really know what I think about that because it's kind of complicated, but uh, I know that they had a love for God and I know that they had a love for Scripture and they, they wrote the Scriptures over and over again in an effort to preserve them. And starting around 200 B.C. and on into the life of Christ, the Essenes recorded these words and they lived in the Judean desert out around what they call the Qumran Caves. I want to show you a couple of pictures. This is what the Qumran Caves look like and, and why I'm showing you these pictures will become kind of clear in a few minutes. Let's show the next one. And then there's one more, I believe. That's, a, that's the opening to one of the caves. Um, they carefully kept scrolls, and they, they, they would not lose hope in the idea that Isaiah's words would carry on. They, they, they copied these words down so that people could have, so that we could have them, so that they could be preserved, and Israel would not lose hope. We know that at one point, the Romans invaded the Essenes, and they made their way out to the desert to kind of overtake this group because the Romans wanted everything, and they knew there was a group that had yet to be conquered, so they made their way out to to the, um, the Essene community and uh, so they took their libraries of scrolls and they placed them in these pots I've got a picture of a pot for you placed them in a pot like that and they put them in these caves in the, es- in the Qumran caves and there are all kinds of caves in that area there's you know multiple caves and, and that's where those scrolls laid for years in wilderness undisturbed no one knew they were there the Essene community died out was overtaken uh, the, the, they were long forgotten those, those scrolls we know about wilderness the problem is for most of us wilderness as we would describe it in our life is a little more sophisticated in a lot of ways if you look at how we live how we work how we are at home, how we spend our money, what we spend our money on, how we medicate both physically with medication and how we uh, do things to either put ourselves in denial or to not have to think about some of the things that are going on in our life. We, we, we deal with wilderness uh, in unique ways and sophisticated ways as people. Wilderness is woven into the fabric of our life. And I think in a lot of instances we've just gotten used to it. Think about chocolate Easter bunnies. How, you have to be a certain age to be able to know what I'm talking about here. But how many of you remember when there was no such thing as a hollow Easter bunny, Easter bunny, chocolate Easter bunny? How many remember that? I remember the first time. You remember the first time you ever bit into the ear of a chocolate Easter bunny and realized it was hollow? How ripped off you felt? It's like, what is up with this? Mom, we got ripped off. This thing's not solid. I know, honey. That one was cheaper. All sorts of things promise to be solid, don't they? All sorts of things in this life promise to be solid. And then you take a hunk out of it and you realize it's not solid. Relationships, churches, Friendships, school, marriages. 
One step can change everything. Mankind took a step away from God and we're tempted to say, it's not really that big a deal. Oh, it was a big deal. It changes everything. And from the beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden had everything that they needed. Close fellowship with God, no wilderness, everything they needed was supplied for them. They had every hope imaginable. But they took a step away from God and it changed everything. God gave them the perfect environment. He said, you can eat from any tree in here but that one. Don't eat from that one. Lo and behold, the serpent comes, he tempts Eve, and one day she partakes of the fruit. She had the opportunity to step up. She had the opportunity to stand for God. She had the opportunity to obey. Or she had the opportunity to step away from God. She saw the fruit and decided that it was going to give her more of what she wanted. So she takes a bite and then she takes a step away from God and then she looks at her husband, Adam. And you ask yourself, you know, what's he doing? (laughs) He's silent and passive. I mean, what's Adam thinking? And instead of stepping up and saying, honey, we should not be doing that, he steps away. And he takes a bite of the fruit as well, and because of uh, no one stepped up, then they were, and we have now what we know as wilderness, and not just environmental wilderness, a wilderness of the soul and spirit. Often, just like Adam and Eve, we want to blame somebody else for that. The reality is if you do not find meaning in the spiritual world, you will begin to ascribe meaning in the temporal world. That's one of the points I want to make today. When you're in the wilderness, you will ascribe meaning to something that is meaningless. Think of the things that you have pursued in your life that, that deep down are meaningless. Championships, trophies, Money, jewelry, cars, houses. Think about how many things you buy that will eventually do nothing but collect dust or end up in the garbage can or end up being given to goodwill, put out on a table in a yard sale. I I hate yard sales. I hate yard sales. Yard sales are depressing to me. You, you see something on a table, and you think about it, and once upon a time, that thing was purchased with great hope. In fact, most of the things you see on a yard sale probably had a special trip made to get them. And, and, and when you see something on a table at a yard sale, that's kind of the, the picture of what we're talking about today, this idea that It held great hope and great promise, and then you get it, and you realize, oh, hollow. You know, mom, we got ripped off. This bunny's not solid. Think about the sacrifice and pursuit of things that you and I have engaged in. Think about how much trivial information you pack into your brain that really doesn't matter all that much. Not only will you ascribe meaning to things that are meaningless when you're in the desert, but when you're in the desert, you will ascribe meaninglessness to things that have meaning. 
You will treat lightly your own soul and your own spirit. You will take lightly days like Easter because even though you know better, there's something in your heart and soul that just has kind of taken a step away. When you're in the desert, it's real easy to step away. It's real easy to ascribe meaninglessness to things that really do have meaning. When you're in the desert, it's, it's easy to look at a day that is so hope-filled like Easter and not really recognize it for the importance that it carries and for what it has. Because we took a step away, it changed everything. But 700 B.C., God said, I'm coming. Through Isaiah, he said, I'm coming. I know you're in trouble. I know you're wounded. I know you're hurt. I know you're in the wilderness. I'm coming to address that for you. God took a step toward us. We didn't deserve it. But God took a step toward us so that we could still be what God created us to be. And in Jesus Christ, what God did was he split time. Think about that. There's one guy in history that has been born where we delineate B.C. and A.D. He split time. You think he's not important? You think there's not something special about Jesus? And when he did that, when he split time, he fulfilled all kinds of prophecies. Isaiah is full of them. And at the age of 30, one of the most profound days in human history happened, and it really happened with nobody even taking all that much notice. You Really, I've heard lots of sermons in my lifetime. I don't know that I can remember anybody ever preaching a sermon on the text that I'm about to read for you but what we're about to read together is one of the most important pivotal things that ever happened in the life of Christ Luke chapter 4 describes an event that should have excited all of mankind the minute this happened everybody should have just been going crazy but that's not the case Jesus had grown up now and he had become a rabbi he was going around teaching in synagogues And at the age of 30, he went back to his hometown in Nazareth to the synagogue there, and he stepped up, and someone reached into a a, a vault or a, a box of some kind and produced for him a scroll. And the rabbi was about to read. When that happened, everybody fell silent so that they could listen to the rabbi read the scroll. And in that moment in Nazareth, Jesus stepped up. And he took a step that would change everything. Listen to what Luke chapter 4, verse 14 and following says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind. 
to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the Messiah. I am the one that Isaiah talked about way back in Isaiah 61. Prophecy had become history and the written word had become the living word. This this should have been an amazing day. This should have been the day that everybody recognized the Messiah just stepped up. And they couldn't see because they remained in their blindness and their bondage. You ever had somebody step up on your behalf? You ever ever been in a situation and you needed some help and someone kind of stepped in just at the right time and took care of something for you? Had a time when I was, before I came here, I was a youth pastor in Seymour, Indiana. And a good friend of mine had asked me, he was a big shot at the Indiana Christian Youth Convention and um, I always took kids to that when I was at Seymour. And when when we went when I went to see my friend one time, he said, hey, would you do me a favor? He said, I've got to make sure that we have this movie shown at ICYC, which stands for Indiana Christian Youth Convention. And the way that this thing worked, they had main sessions and then they had breakout sessions where like, you know, I don't know how many thousands of kids were at this thing, but there were kids everywhere. Well, kids don't like to go in and listen to somebody teach them. So if there's a movie offered, that's where kids want to go. So my job was to show this movie and at the end of the movie, lead a discussion about the movie. So I, you know, watched my movie and prepared my notes and got ready. And I walked, I had to do it twice. And I walked in um, the first time, I think in both sessions, I probably showed that movie to, to over 1,400 kids total. Showed the movie the first time, did the debriefing, and nothing happened. In the second movie, and in this movie, um, Basically, to make a long story short, someone goes to heaven who wasn't baptized. And this is a Christian church convention, okay, which the, the whole get baptized and go to heaven thing is really, really important. And they took real offense, some people did, in showing that this person went to heaven but wasn't baptized. So we, I show the movie the second time thinking that, you know, all went well. I mean, this place is packed packed with kids it's right before lunch i'm hungry i gotta i'm I'm worried about finding my own kids and syncing up with them and finding some place to eat and all this madness and i just want this thing to be over and so we show the movie and at the end of the movie i stand up and i start talking about evangelism that really was the point was to you know get these kids convinced that you've got to go tell your friends about jesus because in the in the movie some people don't make it to heaven and you know the whole point was don't let that be your friends witness to your friends so I had one guy stand up and say well I think you're just trying to make us all feel guilty now keep in mind I'm in front of about 700 people lights on me and I'm not nearly as old and seasoned and the veteran the sage old veteran that you see before you (laughs) been doing this about two years and I don't know nothing he says I just think you're trying to make us all feel guilty Uh, and I've got friends in the crowd I mean guys that I went to school with and guys that I've done ministry with and served 
you know, alongside retreats and camps and things like that. And then I had a guy stand up, and I had several that, you know, some people were nice and we had a nice little conversation, but then I had somebody stand up and he said, sir, that's when I knew I was in trouble. When, when, you, when you call a 24-year-old sir, I knew I was in trouble. He said, I have, he said, I have a question for you. How did that girl go to heaven when she wasn't baptized? I said, sir, my job description today is not to debate the theological points of this film with you. My job today is to talk to these kids and help them to understand that if they don't get proactive about telling their friends about Jesus, they're not going to go to heaven. That's my job today. I don't want to get into this thing with you about whether or not she was or wasn't baptized and what the theological implications of that are. I'm just trying to help you to see that we got to tell people about Jesus. Well, he didn't like that answer, and I went on and moved to the next thing, and I noticed that he just got up and walked out. I mean, in the middle of the, the whole thing, he just walked out. So, you know, at this point, um, I, I'm trying to wrap it up, and I'm trying to move things along, and, and we finish up our debriefing. And afterward, people start coming up to me to talk to me and ask me questions, and, you know, some of my friends that were in the crowd came up, hey, Brett, you handled that really well. I couldn't have done that. I, you know, I'd gone off on the guy or whatever, and we were talking, and and then I looked up, and I saw someone standing in front of me, and he said, he, he had a Bible, and he was acting real meek, and he said, yes, I was, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian, and I was wondering if you could help me do that. Well, I'm two years out of Bible college, dumber in a box of rocks, and I don't see that I'm being set up. And so I start to tell him how I would lead someone to Christ and I start telling him different things and it was at that point that a guy that was from Evansville uh, his name escapes me right now I can't believe that because he's really important to me he, he was standing behind me and I didn't know it and he was, at, he was a youth pastor at a huge church in Evansville it, it's, um, it's Crossroads now it used to be Cullen Avenue anybody know of Cullen Avenue he used to be the youth pastor there I start in on this thing and he, he puts his hand on my shoulder he said Brett I'll take this and he looked at the guy and he said sir you should be ashamed of yourself and for the next five minutes he debated this because he called this guy out and he realized that this guy was setting me up and was going to see if I talked about baptism or not and if I did or didn't he was ready to pounce on me and make me look like an idiot and I had people everywhere and he said Brett I'll take this I got this. And he stepped in front of me, and for the next five or ten minutes, he went toe-to-toe with this guy, and the guy left in a huff, all mad, because he wasn't getting anywhere, and he didn't get a chance to chew on me like he wanted to. Todd Bussey was his name. Todd Bussey. Maybe you've heard of him. I, I love Todd Bussey. Well, forever be grateful to Todd Bussey. Todd, if you're listening, thank you very much. He stepped up for me. He intervened. He, he, he realized that I was in trouble, and he stepped in, and he said, I can tell that this is not going to go well if I don't do something about it. So he stepped in front of me, and he took all the bullets, and he made sure that that whole thing was dealt with the right way. I was shaken. I was, you know, I, once I realized what was going on, you know, after the fact, it's like, whew. Wilderness. Your heavenly Father stepped up and addressed your wilderness 
realizing that you and I had fallen into sin, realizing that there is no way that we could ever address our problem and get past our need, he took the first step toward us, and he stepped up. 700 years before the coming of Christ, he recorded through Isaiah, I'm coming. Hang on, I'm coming. And he sent his son. Next week, we're going to talk more about the, the death of Jesus as we kind of move into this, um, this Easter season. We get to the point where we talk about the resurrection. Today it was take a step. I wonder if, you, if you've ever really considered how blessed you are that, and me too, that in our fallen, miserable, incompetent, <laughs> incapable state, sinful, lost, hopeless, wilderness, Jesus Christ went to a cross and he addressed every need that all that wilderness means for us. Every need. Perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Foretold by Scripture. Later, 1947, a little Bedouin shepherd boy would be, he would lose a goat. That goat would, would, he, would he thought, had wandered into one of those caves that I showed you. And so he's kind of looking in, and he's trying to figure it out. It was dark in this cave, and so he thought he would throw a, a rock into the cave to kind of scare the goat out. What he did when he threw the rock in, he heard something break back in there, 1947. And the scrolls that had been put away by the Essene community way back in the time of Christ, just before, were found. They'd been dated back to 3 B.C., and a lot of skeptics have had to eat their words because they said there's no way that those scrolls are ever valid. But when they, when they found the Essene Qumran scrolls in 1947 and this little shepherd boy found them, it changed everything. And it said Jesus Christ stepped up. He went to the cross for you and me. If you've never given your life to Christ, uh, I'm, I'm here to tell you that that all your spiritual needs have been addressed in Jesus. And it's just a matter of you taking a knee and saying, Lord, I believe that. I want to humble myself. I want to receive forgiveness and your grace. We're going to stand and sing in just a minute. Let's pray before that happens, and you'll have an opportunity to receive Christ if you've never done that. Lord, we, um, <clears throat> I think we get so comfortable sometimes in our wilderness that we forget that that's where we are. Our mind plays tricks on us. We just kind of, we medicate in different ways. We think if we buy things, that will fix it. We think if we eat more, that will fix it. If we drink more, that will fix it. And we do all kinds of things. God, this morning I pray that we would recognize our wilderness, but more than that, that we would recognize that you did something about it that in Jesus you've met every need we have you told us he was coming then you sent him you fulfilled every prophecy and Father I pray that we will walk out of here this morning realizing that Jesus Christ on that cross is our hope 
And without that, we are completely, utterly lost, and it's hopeless. So God, we just humbly, in our hearts, kneel before you this morning. And we tell you that we love you, and we tell you that there's no way we could ever pay you back, and we don't even understand why you did it. But boy, are we thankful. Thank you, Lord, for taking a step in our direction. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for grace. Now help us to live a life that is lived out in thankfulness for what you have done for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.